Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. You know, if I could, I'd get up and dance to that music. It's so so catchy. <laughs> but I didn't uh, I didn't put Jerry on until after the music finished, so he uh, he, he he should be there. But he wasn't on until the music He's was here. over. I heard him. Yeah. yeah. I heard him. Um, well, good evening and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium. We apologize for not being on the air last week, but uh, one of us who will go nameless, but his initials are Jay West, That's uh, it. He had uh, had a severe. Uh, Case of uh, I am sickitis last week. So yeah, and if you hear a screaming in pain, it's not my cat biting me on the leg. It's, <laughs> uh, it's uh, just a, a reflex action from uh, you know how the, when I was there today and he did a little shot. This is sounding more like Peach State old folks home. But uh, when I would uh, when I, he had me laying on the table. Uh, the normal position would be on my back, but he had me laying on my stomach, and it was like uh, taking uh, a piece of car- hard card- cardboard and bending it backwards, okay? And I had to lay there and take that excruciating pain for about five minutes while he figured out, looking at the x-ray, where to put this one little shot. Uh, I hope, I hope... You know, my wife always talks about, you know, having a baby and what that is. But at least I think they have, you know, they go from having the uh, the pain to it backing off and this sort of thing. Well, this this was continuous. So, you know, anyway, uh, my voice is a lot better than it was last, last week. Mike can attest to that. And when you're uh, in the radio business, that's all that matters. They can chop your hand off or, uh, you know, uh, whatever it may be, your legs can fall off. But uh, if your voice is working, then, uh, you know, you're you're supposed to go to work. Well, now that you uh, you experienced what you experienced yesterday, you know what it's like to work with Hans Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. You, that's all you had to work with, uh, Jerry. Was a, was a voice. Uh, nobody. No. No really body action there, nothing. Just screaming. Oh, okay. Well, well, if you'd only been smart to the business, you'd have been all right. <laughs> uh, well, since uh, I was going to uh, talk about this last week, but since we we weren't on the air, uh, we lost uh, one of uh, a. a you throw the word legend around a lot, but uh, in my opinion, a true legend of the wrestling business, and who lived a good long life, and uh, oh yeah, was very successful in the business, and that was uh, as he was known when he he first started, uh, Edmund Francis, Ed Francis, who was the uh, former NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion, but best known for being the promoter of fiftieth fiftieth state wrestling in Hawaii for many, many, many years, throughout the yeah, 60s and early 70s at least. Quite successful. 
and uh, Jerry and I were talked yesterday, and uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, Hawaii and how easy that territory was supposed to be, because they only they only work twice a week. But most of their crew, I mean, they had a a base crew of of locals there, but they had uh, most of their their bigger names were guys going to and from Japan that would stop and lay over for a week or two. And uh, he had connections and used wrestlers from from every promotion across the state that were on the, you know, across the states who were flying guys to Japan. And uh, Mm -hmm. I just, I hate, Jerry, you never got to work there. Never did. Never did. I hate it, too. I really do. But you you had asked me yesterday if he was still living in Hawaii, and I thought at the time he was, but I found out today that he, uh, when he passed away, he was living in Overland Park, Kansas, which I guess is a suburb of Kansas City. That's You're familiar correct. with that area? Yes. And speaking of Kansas City, I uh, no. have been in, in contact with uh, a gentleman that you know quite well that I'm hoping to uh, work out uh, having on, on the show with us, uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike George. That would be uh, great. He said he was is very interested in, in speaking to you again because he uh, something about uh, trans money you owe him and money from <laughs> t-shirts or something. <laughs> <laughs> now he, he gave me his phone number and I'm going to call him this week. And the problem with with uh, getting him on the show is he works at a casino. I don't know. He didn't tell me what he did. I don't know if he's a professional gambler, if he's a bouncer, or what he is. But he works at a casino, and his his shift is uh, three in the afternoon to eleven at night. So, but he said to call him this weekend, and, and he and I'll talk, and, and maybe we can figure out something because he he really does want to be on the show with us. I well, guess that's he for working security. at a casino. That just sounds fishy from the beginning. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> as long well, as you don't have to. Bob Geigel and uh, Bulldog Bob Brown worked at a dog track when they got out of the business. Yeah, well, yeah, as long you, as you know, don't have the uh, the uh, you know if you're if you're not a big gambler, then it's 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 a great place to work, I would think. But if you uh, couldn't keep your hands off of the table, then it uh, probably wouldn't be. You know, they wouldn't even let Joe Turner in the casino. They had him driving a bus out in the parking lot. <laughs> Yeah, but Joe got more tips out there because he flirted with all the old ladies that rode on the <laughs> coming out there to gamble. <laughs> and of course, uh, every time Joe tur- told a story about uh, some woman he he rode in his his uh, little cart, she got better looking every time he told the story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it, Bobby? Was it you that asked him how come he, how come he never messed around with any ugly women? No, that was Randy. We were, <laughs> he would tell her, he would, you know, he was the first one to meet us at the hotel when we get to Mobile, and he stayed with us the whole time. And he was always telling these stories about this good-looking girl here and a good-looking girl there. Randy asked him one night. He said, "Wait a minute." He said, "How about telling some stories about all the ugly girls?" There you go. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm sure he claimed they all went with Bill. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jay had made a had done a little research on Ed and made a list of all the uh, 
the titles that he held. Um, yeah, and I'm you know there were 13 that were listed here in the Wrestling Observer, and uh, some of them go back to the early 50s. The NWA Ohio Tag Team with Ray Stevens. Uh, this was in August uh, 1957. Lost to uh, Shag Thomas and Charlie Hoover. Uh, the NWA Ohio Heavyweight, this was 1958, uh, defeated Billy Darnell. Uh, the NWA Pacific Coast Junior Heavyweight, uh, this was in uh, 1957, defeated Luigi Macera. Had you ever heard that name before? Luigi Macero, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he okay. came through Mobile for a while. Then the NWA Pacific Coast Heavyweight, uh, held in Western Canada. And vacated when he left, and one that looks like a big, big title, uh, number nine, was the NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team uh, that he held with Henry Lenz, and this is in the 58 uh, through 60 time period, which looks like it changed back and forth probably uh, eight or nine times, including one one of the times being uh, Fritz von, against Fritz von Bomber, Bronner, and Kurt. Von Poppenheim, uh, the NWA North Pacific Northwest heavyweight, defeated Bud Curtis in October of '56. That name ring a bell, Mike? Bud Curtis, oh yeah. Okay, he See, was big, in, big old, in Los Angeles in the '50s. Way older than me, knowing this stuff. NWA, that's a joke. NWA Hawaiian tag team with Pedro Morales defeated uh, Ripper mm-hmm. Collins and Buddy Austin in 1969. Uh, the NWA Hawaiian Heavyweight Ring Magazine Gold Belt. I remember that uh, title very well with that belt that went with uh, the Ring um, Ring Wrestling Magazine. Uh, yeah. And uh, the NWA Canadian Heavyweight defeated Cyclops in December of 1960. You know who that was? Cyclops, there was two of them. One of them was a guy named Bill Savage. And the other one was uh, Jim Grabmeyer. Now, which one it was, I would imagine it was probably Savage. Uh, it's 1960 in in, uh, in Calgary. Uh, probably Savage then, because I think uh, I think uh, Jim Grabmeyer did the gimmick in Texas. Okay. Midwest Wrestling Association World Junior Heavyweight defeated Joe Scarpello in November of 24th of 1952 in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, NWA uh, Texas heavyweight defeated Enrique Guzman, uh, June 11, 1954, in Houston. The AWA World Tag Team title with Billy Robinson defeated Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkel in November 15th of 1972. And the NWA World Junior heavyweight uh, defeated uh, Baron Mikel Leon in April uh, April the 11th of 1955 in Tulsa. Then he lost it to Mike Clancy in April the 10th, 1956, in Tulsa. So he, he held that title about a year. Now that AWA tag team switch, that was probably done in Hawaii, and it was probably done without Vern's permission. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, title change only recognized in Hawaii. And you're yep. right, probably done without because his permission. Because they did, uh, when the Vachons had, you know, the Vachons held that the AWA tag team title for over a year. And they were booked to go to Japan in the middle of their run as the champions. And they had a stopover in, um, 
Portland, I think it was, and they dropped the title out there to, um, I don't even remember who it was to, uh, but they dropped the title there in Portland and then went to Japan, wrestled in their tour of Japan, came back, won the title back, and went back to work for Vern. Vern never knew anything about it. Wow. <laughs> that couldn't happen today, could it? <laughs> no. No. Couldn't even hold a publicity shot today, would it? Well, that's that's the same thing, you know, uh in Japan when was it Briscoe dropped the title Briscoe of Baba for a week? Yeah. You yeah. know, and Munchnik never knew anything about it. Yeah, Munchnik knew about it, but he, he wasn't happy about it, but he and Jack got him his cut, so you know. Bubba bought and paid for that run as he did yeah. the the two that he beat Harley for and you know. But as good as he was to everybody over here, who cares? Yeah. You know. Exactly. I mean, he deserved it. Sure he, he deserved did. it. I just think that uh you know, if if Ricky Dozen hadn't been murdered, what a difference, you know. I'm sure he would have gotten a run with the title. I mean, he already had a run with the with the offshoot, the the WWA title. It was, you know, was an offshoot from when Edward Carpentier beat Fez for the NWA title. You know, he switched it back and forth a couple of times uh, with with Blassie in California and in Japan. And he, uh, I think, Fez when he when he dropped the title to Carpentier before. He started calling himself the NWA champion again. He um, used uh, the same belt and called himself the international champion. I think he switched it back and forth with Ricky Dozen. He and Ricky were close, Fez and, and Ricky were. So I have no doubt that Fez probably would have pushed for him to get an NWA run with the NWA title at some point, which would have been, you know, was good. I I thought it was great when when Bobby did it because it proved it was a world title. Yes, absolutely. You know? I gave more credit to the to the belt. But Francis, I think he started um, he started in Ohio, obviously under how how Haft. Um, but he. Um, if he were, if he teamed with Stevens, I don't know if he would have been a heel there or not in Ohio. I know he was in Texas because he was called Edmund Edmund Francis, and he had bleach. Well, it wasn't real bleach blonde. It was, you know, like a dirty blonde, like Buddy Rogers' hair was. And then uh, he had a manager named Bobby Wallace, and, and you know, right. Was was didn't call himself Nature Boy, but was that type of personality? Yeah. And um, but uh, always in tremendous shape. I mean, just oh yeah, every picture I ever saw of him, he was even as an older older guy. And of course, his two of his sons that, that wrestled, Billy and Russ Francis. Russ Russ was was probably better known as a football player. I know he played for New England Patriots. Who else did he play for? Um, San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big old See, boy, on, too. Yeah, well, both of them were. Billy was was a tall guy, too. I think, well, Ed was probably well over six feet. But, 
but he um you know he did well as a promoter over there in in, in Hawaii. I, I don't know when he. How did he wind up in Kansas? I don't know unless he had relatives there. I mean, he was ninety years old, so I'm sure you know he probably was living with with family of some sort. If if he wasn't, you know, in some sort of home somewhere, but uh, well, think about it. It's just common sense. Wouldn't you want to leave Honolulu and move to Kansas City? <laughs> yeah, he must have something else going on. <laughs> Especially the older you get, because that's just going to extend your time that much longer. Because it's, it's it's like Bobby said about uh, um, Gats in Alabama. <laughs> if you find out you have six months to live, you're going to move there because it seemed like sixty years. It seemed like there a lifetime, yes, sir. <laughs> oh man! All right, here's a couple other things that that uh, out, out of the Wrestling Observer. Uh, that uh, might just make your day. One of them, uh, that uh, at least this is the blurb, and I'm not sure which end it's coming from, but Donald Trump is supposedly considering Linda McMahon for the role of Secretary of Commerce. Uh, that never happen. And, and, you know, I I just find it very, very hard to believe. But I would think that they were probably monetary uh, uh, you know, they helped him out as far as his campaign was concerned. That's my guess for him even to consider her. And in another blurb going right along with that, J- Dwayne Johnson in an interview done this past week with People Magazine as part of the cover story is the annual Sexiest Man of the Year title, Alive, said he was seriously, uh, seriously considering running for president. So there you go. We 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 are yeah, him and Kanye between Linda West, McMahon and between Linda McMahon and The Rock, we're we're covered, and you know you don't have a thing to worry about. Yeah. Well, on the on the, the the good news end of it, yesterday I celebrated. I told Jay earlier, and I told Jerry yesterday when we talked, I celebrated my my three year anniversary of being alive. Well. No, I won't be alive again until uh, the 14th of December. But uh, 33 years ago yesterday was when they carried me to the hospital in the coma. When did they operate on me, Bobby? I I was there, but I wasn't there. Uh, God, let's see. I went in on Saturday. Was it Sunday they operated? It was either Sunday or Monday. Your daughter called me and said, get there, and I got there, and that doctor came in there and told us, said, y'all need to go back there and tell him bye, because we don't think he's going to come out of the surgery. Hmm. So It was a minute-to-minute thing, right, Bobby? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, it was, they they took him down. We didn't know we didn't know what was going to happen at that point, and, of course, some of the family started arriving, and, you know, there was a movement. We stayed there. He came back in about a this is eleven, eleven thirty. He came in and he told us. He said, "I've been, I've been practicing surgery for thirty years." He said, "I have never seen anything like I just seen." And we wow. said, "Well, did you?" He's talking about part of it. His intestines was dead. And I said, well, "Somebody asked the question." He said, "Well, did you get it all?" He said, "Yeah, we got it all." He said, "But we don't know what killed it. We don't know if it's going to stop." So, needless to say, it was an it was a it was an interesting, fun-filled night. Uh, I think I walked yeah, I'm out. I'm sorry, about, I missed it. Yeah, about ten thirty, eleven o'clock. I think I walked out in the hall and I called Jerry and told him what was going on, and uh, it was it was just a 
I mean, we didn't have a clue. We didn't have a clue. Well, you must have a heck of a surgeon, sir. He, oh, yeah. He, like, he got good care out there. Too. He was at Eastside out, in, out in, in Loganville, Snellville, wherever it's at out there. He, he did a – they treated him very well. In fact, uh, and, and and I'm not going to make too much of this yet, but uh, one of the uh, nurses I met out there sent me a text message this past weekend. Well, she sent me one a few minutes ago, too, but she sent me one this weekend to let me know she's divorced now and she wants to see me. Uh-huh. <laughs> see, see what going into a coma three years ago will do for you, Mike? <laughs> well, like I said, I'm not going to make too much of it, but wouldn't break my heart. Actually, it was still a long, hard road from that point up until very recently. What, am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, until I had that, had the what they did during that surgery, until I had it reversed. Yes, it was. It was. It was a dark time, but uh, you know, I'm beyond that point at this at this stage, and uh, that's great. Uh, I have no doubt that at some point I will be walking again, but uh, it may be slowly and it may be with help, but I'm going to be walking again. <laughs> he told me we were we were here at the house one day, and and you know they had told him he needed to get up and walk some, and he told me he was very honest with me. He said, "I'm afraid to." He said. He said, if I fall with this ostomy, he said, I'm afraid if I fall on it, I'm going to make a horrible mess in your floor. And I told him, I said, well, I said, but I hate you. I don't want you to do that. He said, number one, I don't want you to fall. And I said, number two, people are going to think real ugly of me. I said, because I'm going to bring you a mop and some brushes and, and, and some stuff while you're down there before I ever help you up. So, but he, uh, we did good. We did good. He, you know. It's been a long road, but he's done good. He looks a lot better now than he did. Dude, that's that's saying an awful lot. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm my weight is holding, and I'm you know I'm eating you know just about anything I want to. Um, How much you weigh now, sugar is, Uh Let's see, I weighed on uh, Tuesday. I weighed one eighty nine point two. Oh, that's great. And that goes up and down. I mean, I, I when I went to my doctor's office. And got on his scale last two weeks ago. He it weighed me at two oh six, but I don't think that's right. But I I, I bounce between one ninety and one ninety five somewhere in there, depending on you know what I've had to eat the day before and what stayed with me and what didn't. But even that that part's for the most part under control. I mean that was the biggest thing before. I was I was terrified to go anywhere. Number one, I was embarrassing having that that sack hanging off of me. But then, you know, it's just you can't go anywhere because you think you you may have to, you know, rush to a bathroom. And not even though you know most places have handicapped bathrooms, some places don't. But uh, that trip we made to um, to Blakely, I was a little concerned about that, but but I went and uh, I ate breakfast that morning. And we stopped and had lunch, and then stopped and and uh, ate dinner. And I went to the bathroom one time. So I mean, you know. But anyway, we're way I'll tell you this: a lot of things of we take for granted every day, fellas. He had to learn how to live doing things on a strange. Uh, 
timetable, and he he did real well. He did good. Yep. Yeah, I told Bobby um, the first time I went to church um, after I had the uh, reversal surgery done, I told him, I said, you know, and I said just the exact same things. There's so many things you take advantage of. I said, it feels so good to be able to tuck a a shirt in again and not have to have it hanging loose to cover up, you know, the bag. That bag hanging off of me. But, but anyway, let's get back talking about the wrestling business. Let's do that. Um, I don't know if we were we mentioned it back in February when she actually passed away, but but a lot of people are just now getting around to, to, to acknowledging the fact that Karen Kellogg died in, back in February. And I want to say we we talked about her or mentioned it anyway. There wasn't much to. To say about her, she was the uh, the last of uh, <clears throat> Billy Wolf's wives slash champions. <laughs> after after he and Mary be my champion. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, she passed away in February. I don't remember what her age was or anything about that at this point. But I'm almost positive we we mentioned her. Back when that happened, but uh, I don't know if it's, I don't know when she got out of the business. I don't recall her working much past the mid '60s or so. That one it was one thing that, that the Georgia office never did use a whole lot during the the. Um, McIntyre or the the Gunkle days. Did they bring in Moodle very often, Bobby? Uh, once, twice a year, maybe. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, you didn't have girls here very often. I mean, it wasn't like a regular thing. It was a. It was considered a. I would say a special attraction. Uh, and, and generally, when they had girls here, it was always Moolah against somebody. It was a know, yeah. I don't rem- I don't remember very many times they would have they would just have a, a girls match. Now later well, on, I, you know, it got changed. But you know, as I was growing up, it was always Moolah against somebody. I remember when I was working at the auditorium one night. They I don't know how many ladies they had in the match, but they had an over the top rope battle royal. And uh, and Moolah did not win, but she was the next to the last person out. And I guess it was some uh, girl that she wanted to get over, but uh, uh, to a little bit. But uh, that's the only battle royal at the auditorium that that I remember uh, with with the later wrestlers. And it was definitely her stable of girls. Yeah, she used to do that in Mobile. They would would book, and Kelly told me. Um, when he was booking, that what she would do, he'd call her to try and book a couple of girls, and she'd talk him into booking five, including her. Because what they would do was they would bring her in and and have a five girl battle royal, and then the winner of that would face her later in the night for the for the title. And it was usually somebody like Donna Cristinello or or Vicky Williams or one of her longtime you know girls. And speaking of, of lady wrestlers. Um, our friend Sue Green is going into the uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in uh, the one that just moved from Amsterdam to um, 
Texas. Wichita Falls, Texas. Yeah. And another name we're all familiar with is finally, finally getting recognized by one of these Hall of Fames and being inducted, and that's Sputnik Monroe. Good. Absolutely. I can't remember who else is. Harley Race and uh, Larry Hanning are going in as a tag team. Uh, Yvonne Robert is going in as uh, as a pioneer. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the name Yvonne Robert, Yvonne Robert was probably, well, he was wrestling in, in Montreal in the 40s and 50s. Uh, he won, He held a version of the world heavyweight championship. He was to Montreal what whipper Billy Watson was to Toronto. To Quebec or, no, Toronto's in what, what, what the province is right, Toronto right. in? I'm trying to think what, Ontario. So what Watson was to Ontario is what, uh, Yvonne Robert was to, um, Montreal and Quebec. Bobby was so his son here, or is that his son? Or really yes, his son? son, Yvonne Robert Jr. I think he worked as Bo Brummel in, in the States. I think he came through Georgia as Bo Brummel. I know he worked in Florida under that name. Yeah, Whipper Jr. was here too. Yeah, Whipper mm-hmm. Watson Jr. was. Yeah, Phil yeah. Watson. Or Phil Potts is their last name, really, Potts. Yeah, he came but, uh, through. He came to work for Gunkle. It was like a circus. He had him. There was a a, a lady wrestler named Rochelle, Rachel Dubois. Rachel Dubois, yeah. And then he had a couple of midgets. I got. I, if I remember correctly, I remember reading something about him getting in trouble a few years later on, but I can't remember exactly what it was. And. Yeah, it had something to do with uh, child pornography, but I think the charges, everything was dropped. I think it all turned out to be a hoax. That's probably from what I understand. And the reason that it, I mean, obviously the Watson name uh, came to mind, but I would not have related anything to uh, him, particularly had Bobby not mentioned the fact that he did work for All South. Well, well, even when he came in, even when he came in, as, was he called Phil Watson or was he No, Whipper he came in as Whipper Jr.? Watson Jr. But yep. did Whipper Watson's name mean anything in Georgia at that point? No, no. No, other than other than the, 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 the wrestling fan that, that was knowledgeable at all recognized the name as being a former NWA champion. That would have been the right. only, you know. But, you know, he, he, he was a pretty good, he was a pretty good wrestler. He could do a lot of the, you know, he could do the flips off the top rope and do some of the things. But the problem was, he soaking wet, he probably weighed a buck ninety, buck eighty-five, and then you know, so a guy doing those things at that weight wasn't that impressive. Yeah, Don Shrano. Uh, I like seeing Doug Gilbert climb up there and do it, you know. But yeah, uh, he, he was okay. Was he around the same time the Poffos were? Oh, God I think he was earlier, wasn't he? Could have been before. I don't, you know, I don't know. I can't say. I don't remember. I can say that would be a, a, a strange group. Yeah, he didn't stay too long, <laughs> if I remember correctly. He wasn't uh, here a long time. 
I run across a name today that I hadn't thought of in a while, and I know he worked for Ann, Ricky Hunter. Yeah. Yep. Was it, was he the gladiator or the super gladiator? <laughs> he was a super gladiator. Okay. Uh, Ron Hill was the golden gladiator. He was a super gladiator. He was here first. What a worker he was. Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know why he didn't get I don't know if he just wasn't in with the right guys or whatnot because he, he looked impressive and he could work well, but he didn't seem to uh, – uh, Hunter didn't seem to get a, a great deal of a push when he was here. He didn't. He didn't. He never – he just he, he was middle of the card the whole time his, he was here. His biggest push was in uh in Florida in the in the late sixties as the gladiator. Um was he out in Portland when you were out there, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, he was living there. I think that's where he, he, he ended up, but he was he was a great worker. He had a legit Very background good. too. He was a he was a shooter, so Yeah, I found that out. Not <laughs> okay, I want to hear that story. You want to hear uh, it? Jerry, what, yeah, Jerry, yeah, when absolutely. you were saying... Yeah. Go ahead, somebody. Uh, Jerry, when you were when we were talking about Hawaii a while ago and you said you never worked there, uh, was it just that it never became the right time for you to be there based on where else you were working or uh, or what? Just going back and forth in Japan, I mean, the only time I ever went to, to Hawaii, uh, it was the first time I ever went to Japan. We stopped and uh, landed in Honolulu and picked up King Curtis. We had a six-hour layover because, as I've told this story, halfway across the Pacific to Honolulu, I saw the stewardess running around. I said, what's going on? They said, uh, we're not supposed to say anything. We've got a cracked windshield. Said, really? Oh, God. <laughs> I had a so, Oh, jeez. So, yeah, I asked her, I said, well, what are they going to do? Because I was sitting right where they sit, you know, at an aisle, you know, at leg room. She said, well, we're halfway. And she said, the pilot said, he's just going to back off on my airspeed. And, uh. Once we land in Hawaii, they'll repair it. So we had a six-hour layover there. And then they just repaired it and went on from there. So that was my uh, experience with Honolulu. Well, picking up King Curtis would have been enough right there. Let me tell you something. <laughs> he was a trip. Nice guy, though. Very nice. Very hardworking. Very nice. I've only, all the trips to Japan, I've never seen a guy go to Japan the way he went. He had, he had this travel bag. It was, it was uh, round, probably, I don't know, 24 inches high. That's all he took. That's all he took. And he took his clothes out of the bag and let it, they just come from the cleaners. How he did that, I don't know. Well, one bag. Of course, I don't know what he had in the bag, but. <laughs> I never asked him. Or the baggie that was in the bag. He was a lot of fun and uh really really enjoyed being with him. You know what he ended up doing after he got out of the business? What? He went back to Hawaii 
and he got him a little uh, kiosk on the beach, on, on Waukakee Beach, and he rented uh, surfboards and stuff, and, you know, the little, the little scooter boards and all that, and that's what he did. What a life. That's almost as good as your your life, riding up and down the beach in a golf cart. You know, he was big over there. I mean, he, he was big. You know, he, oh, yeah. he was in Australia. He, he, uh, he, you know, I'm sure Curtis did all right for himself. And then oh, I yeah. made one yeah. trip to Hawaii, and his son, I mean to Hawaii, to uh, Japan, his son was on the tour, Rocky. He was the same one that used the name Prince Kalua. I know he worked as yeah, Rocky Aikea, but I think I want to say he he might have worked as Prince Kalua, but that may have been somebody else. I'm not sure. That, that I don't know. Well, let's get anyway, get back to the, the Ricky Hunter Rock, story. Rock Hunter. I mean, Ricky Hunter. All right, Ricky. Ricky didn't. You remember Sherry, Bobby? Vaguely, yes. She's very wealthy. Where yeah. she got her money, I got no idea. And I became very good friends with Ricky. So I probably told this story if I have call it off. They had a little trophy thing at the Elton Moment had this little trophy shooter trophy, blah 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 blah. So first night I ever worked for him, I yeah, kid, uh, can you can you shoot? I said, but they done Smart me up to the gimmick. I said, "Oh yeah." I said, "I'm, I'm pretty good." Well, you go, you go wrestle for the trophy tonight. I said, "Okay." I forgot who it was. You go out there for like the first minute in amateur wrestle, so you know you go out there, boom, 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 boom. I come back. He said, "You're good, kid. You're good. You, you got the trophy." Blah blah blah. So I said, "Okay." This is only in his town. Don didn't know anything about this crap. I guess he did. He didn't care. So the Iron Sheik shows up out there. So. We were in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So he comes in, the elder said, uh, yeah, I said, uh, we got to shoot tonight. I said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah. I said, uh, you and the Iron Sheik. But I met Cosro. That's who I knew him as. You know, Allie was there. Yeah. Yes. I said, okay. So I went and told that referee, I said, you tell that idiot this is a wizard. So he said, yeah, I told him, I told him. I said, okay. So we get in the ring. I told him, I said, you told him, right? Yeah, that's what this idiot's going to do. Like, you know, he went to the Olympics and all this crap. So, and the emphasis on idiot's not far off. That idiot shot uh, behind me and gave me a belly-to-back suplex. That's oh, my God. Straight on my head. Bam. I come around, come around, he's all over me, boom, 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 boom. Then we have our match. So Ricky Hunter's there and saw it. Johnny Eagles was there. So that was on a Friday night. And Elton comes in, yeah, he got the mess of your kid. And I said, yeah, he did, didn't he? So we're in Salem, Oregon, the following Wednesday. So... He's working with Ricky Hunter. I didn't know Ricky was like this. I, I honestly God, I didn't. So, Elton comes down there and said, yeah, Sheik, you going to shoot with uh, Ricky. So, Johnny Eagle started it. 
He said, yeah. He said, uh, she, I, don't, I don't think you're going to have too easy a time, or Ricky. Oh, I take care of him. Bob about this one back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Ricky finally told that sheep, this is in the dressing room now. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to you. He said, you hurt my friend the other night. He said, I'm going to take those seven medals you say you got, and I'm going to stick them up here. And he said it. <laughs> Everybody's rushing. Holy smoke. Because Cosmo was supposed to be some bad egg, right? Yeah. Well, everybody goes up there and watches this. They go out there, and Ricky, I had no idea. He hooked up with that, 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 that man, went behind him, and gave him a belly-to-back suplex, just like he gave me. He had a mat burn from the middle of his forehead halfway down that bald head of his. And when they landed, Ricky was up, up front, face locked in, was all over him. Elton's hollering, they're killing my town. They're killing my town. <laughs> <laughs> this was, uh, he ate him up. He ate him up. And the whole match, Ricky was just pounding him, pounding him. And they come back and they had some words. Ricky said, if you want to go, man, let's go. And he says, I, I don't care about your medals. And I found out that night about Ricky Hunter. It was, it was. I mean, it was unbelievable. She never, he never fooled with him again. Never fooled with him again. But he told him, he said, "You hurt my friend." So I'm gonna, uh, 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 let's see what you can do with me. Well, how, how did you feel, Jerry, the next time you had to work with the sheik? Did you feel that no, things were going to be no okay? Problem, no problem. No problem. Had no problems with him. He couldn't work, but I didn't have any problems with him. I mean, I didn't know the idiot was. Gonna, he was trying to impress Don Owen. I mean, Elton Owens, you know. At my expense. Yeah. Right. I don't know that that, that idiot was going to do something like that. I mean, I don't know what I could have done with him, but I mean, I wasn't afraid of him at all. I just didn't know that he was going to take advantage of me like that. But he did. Right. But I worked with him many times after that. And so anyhow, I'm working with Ricky one night in Seattle, and uh, he had a short arm scissor on me, and he was strong. My gosh, we used to go over to his house every Saturday night. Me and my wife and Jesse and his wife and Johnny and his wife. He had a beautiful home. He had a, where she got her money, I don't know. Ricky didn't care. I mean, he 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 didn't work all the time. He'd work a couple of times a week. He didn't care. They let, he had a beautiful home. Beautiful. I always drove a Lincoln. Uh, anyhow. Wow. So uh, I'm working with him one night in Seattle. He's got a short arm scissor on me. And uh, he said, can you stand up with me? I said, yeah, I can stand up with you. I was in good shape too, man. I was working out like crazy out there. You ever seen that Bobby where you stand up with a guy and he's up on your shoulder? Uh-huh. On the short arm scissors, and I was going to sit him back down and go over. He said, all right, all right, let's do it. So I, I got him in the position to do it. And I got up under him good and got him on my shoulder. I'm halfway up. He said, Jerry. I said, what? He said, you got a light. Well, I fell with him. I started laughing. <laughs> I had a light. <laughs> but he, he was, he was uh, then he went to work. Then I saw him again when he was working for uh, Vince. He started doing the ring out of Florida for him. And uh, I don't know why. Then after he, he did that, he, he would always come out of gym with that WWF then truck. Man, and people went berserk when he pulled up with that big truck. And uh, that's when he told me the chief wanted to see me, and I went down there that night and so, but he, he he was a great guy, you know. Uh, and then Sherry died, and uh, it was 
I, I thought the world of Ricky. I, I, I guess he's still doing all right. I don't know. I, I don't know. But why, why he was never used better than what he was, because he was a hell of a talent. He could work. I mean, my gosh. So we went to to his house one night. He had a big base, big den on the basement of the den, just fixed up and nice. And there was this picture hanging up in there. I said, Ricky, who is that guy? It was bodybuilder, you know. I, mean, I couldn't tell who it was. It was some guy I used to know, you know. So it kept on and on and on. Every time we go, I said, Ricky, who is that guy? He finally said, it's me. I said, what? He said, I was Mr. Canada. You can believe the body he had on him. Strong, big calves, he could, he could work. I don't know if he, I guess you refereed some of his matches, Bobby. I mean. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. He could work. I mean, he was a great worker. You know yeah, his name was, what his real name was, don't you? Wait a minute. What he won the Mr. Canada is. I've heard it, but I couldn't tell you. Charles Sprott. Sprott. Yep. Well, that you was mentioned another Jerry. guy that was, was not one to uh, fool with, and that was Johnny Eagles. Uh, exactly. He was dangerous. Funniest man I've ever been around, without a doubt. I loved him to that way, but he was my best friend in the business. Funny he was guy. a funny guy. He was the funniest guy I have ever been around. When I first started uh, refereeing. I didn't tell you about all the stuff he did to the Sheik, did I? Yeah. yeah. No. I did or didn't? No. no you know about Johnny? No. no, 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 no go he ahead. Got me on my head. Well, that Monday night, after he dropped me on my head on a Friday, we were in Yakima, Washington. So outside of Seattle there, I mean, uh, uh, Portland, the guys used to meet at this truck stop out there. So Johnny rode with me, and uh, uh, the sheep was riding with Bull Ramos. And Bull didn't drive too fast, so after the matches, we, Johnny and I take off going back to Portland. And he says, we get out, almost out there to that truck stop, and he says, uh, do you happen to have a tire iron in your trunk? You know, resident said, Yeah, I got one. He said, Pull over in this truck stop here. So she had some kind of nice Chevrolet with, with the four headlights, you know, one was just regular headlights and others with a black light. He got out. He said, Open the trunk. He took that tire tool out and knocked all four of his headlights out. And he says, Stay on. So we go, we go back. We go back. We leave gone. She come in the restroom next night raising sand. Johnny says, my gosh, that's horrible, man. You know, that accident, that's horrible. Well, that wasn't the end, though. Johnny was off one night, and we I forgot where we wrestled. Not for, like, uh, I forget the name of that town. Uh, not, right out of Portland, not too far up in Washington, not too far. She that's just called another place. He's riding with bull again. Well, Johnny was off. He, took, he, he says, uh. I paid the sheet another visit last night. I said, what? <laughs> he said, I took a mallet and changed his real quarter paddles in. <laughs> so, and he come in the dressing room. Oh, somebody tell my car up. Somebody tell my car up. And that's a Sunday. We up in some part of Washington again. Cold, wintry day up there. Dark, raining. 
so uh, I'm riding with Johnny. So we get to this town. He pulls on a, like a 7-Eleven something. Like a 7-Eleven. He said, I'll be right back. He comes back. He's got this big jar of honey. I said, what are you going to do with this honey? He said, you'll see. You'll see. So he don't tell me that's all he said. So the sheet had velour seats in this car here. <laughs> wow. I'm telling, I'm telling you now. So on the way home, I said, all right, let's hear it. I said, you disappeared. What's the deal? He says, you'll hear that tomorrow night. <laughs> he took that honey. How he got in the sheep's car, I don't know. He took that honey and poured it in all the front seats, the back, the back of the seat, the seat on all the way across, poured it down where his windshield wipers are. She come in the dressing room the next night. I had to take my babies to school. They could sit in honey all the way to school. <laughs> and so he's raising sand. So Johnny says, oh, uh, take it easy. She, take it easy. He said, you got so much heat out here. It's the fans doing that to you. The fans are doing that to you. Yeah, maybe it's cold. Maybe it's cold. I have to hide my car. This, this, and this. So she comes to me one night and says, I think your friend doing that to me. I said, doing what? Messing my car up. Who, who are you talking about? He said, Johnny, Johnny Eagle. You do this to my car. Not Johnny. Said, Johnny wouldn't do anything like that. So that's not all I saw Johnny do. We're, we're in, we spent the night in Seattle. That's when Dutch did this deal. Waskowski and I had this little town come up, uh, Salem, Oregon. It started off, he and I, we made $35. Next night, 60 The next week, 65 Next week, we got it up. We got pay off at $98. And Dutch was there. He told us, Elton, he said, let me come back next week in a, a coal miner glove match. And they had seen that for 20 years out there. House dropped right back down. So right. that, was on a, that was on a Wednesday. So we, we spent the night on the, the next Monday in, in uh, Seattle. Seattle was on Monday, I think. We spent the night there, and Johnny and I staying together. So he gets up about 2.30. Where are you going, man? He says, uh, I got some paint stripper in my trunk. <laughs> He's got a handful of towels. And Dutch had this good-looking, it was a gorgeous van. Well, uh, this mural painted on both sides. I looked out the window. He pulled that paint stripper on his towel and rubbing that that mural all over. <laughs> that you can imagine what that looked like the next morning. Oh gosh! And then one night we he was somebody. I don't know if you know this about him, Mike. I don't know how much you was around him. He was a guy you did not mess with. Physically or just mess with him. Then one night no. we arrested him there in uh, Portland on a Saturday night. And the next few nights, Johnny and I go ride with Dutch somewhere in that van. And he's raising sand. He says, Somebody broke in my van, stole the TV, stole this is gone, that's gone. And Johnny's giving me the elbow. I'm about to lose my mind. It was <laughs> unbelievable. He was a vicious, vicious man. But if he liked you, that was the way it was. And I stayed in touch with him after I even left Portland. 
but you didn't mess with him or his money. No. Wow. The, the, the famous Johnny Eagles rib story, I, it wasn't even pulled on, on any of the boys. It was a, there was a restaurant mobile called the Princess House that a lot of the boys used to go eat at after the matches in Mobile. And he went. I can't even remember who told me this story. It might have been Joe Turner. But he went, a bunch of them went, and he got up in the, the uh, you know, in the middle of dinner and went to the bathroom, was was gone for a bit. And then when he came out, <clears throat> he had toilet paper <laughs> hooked to the back of his, his belt, back, back of his pants, and about a trail following behind him, 10 or 12 feet, and he'd taken a baby Ruth bar that he you know, had been working on to get it soft and, and melted and rolled it up in that thing and had it trailing <laughs> behind him. He walked all the way through the center of the restaurant with that. <laughs> 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 Who was more fun to, fun to talk to, Jerry, Johnny or, or Al Hayes? Both of them were riots. I told you, I told you about him playing cards, didn't he? Playing cribbage. Huh? He's playing cribbage with a John. That's when John come through out there for a week in, in, in Portland, and they playing every night, man. And that Johnny's working him over, man. Working him over every night, working him over. So I forget what town was in one night, and John went up and said he had to go pee. I said, Johnny, I said, how do you keep getting those hands, man? He says, I'm giving them to myself. I said, what? <laughs> I said, if that joker catches you, this is his exact words. He said, that big goof will never catch me doing this. <laughs> and I watched him, I, I watched him shuffle the, I watched him shuffle the deck. I watched him, I watched him, you know, separate the cars. He'd shuffle them, boom, boom. He'd deal them. It was, I've never seen anything like that in my life, ever. I could, sat right there and watched him. Huh? Could not catch him, and I know what's going on. So uh, when I come back to Georgia, I was telling uh, Jody Howard about it. Oh, he said, you didn't know that about him? He said, he's a mechanic with those cars. They didn't call him the Houdini <laughs> for nothing, buddy. I sat right there and watched this man. I spoke pretty with him. I never did too good. <laughs> he, was, he, was, um, he told me he used to work for the Rose Royce dealership. He did a poster. Oh, really? That's what he said. He, he was, I know he, he was, started, he was he was pretty young when he started in England. He he was spent 10, 15 years in England before he ever came to the States. And he's one he of had the, the, He had the best gimmick as far as... <clears throat> His working style, like I said, his his nickname was the Houdini of wrestling because of all the, the escapes and everything he knew. He was just so smooth. He was so smooth. I, I worked with him several times. And, and, you know, he never talked about that he went to Wigan and he was this or that. He, he never did. He, he, he never did. I saw him be, put holes on people. They, they had no idea what he was doing. He was unbelievable, man. Yeah, that's another one like like Ricky Hunter that you know why he never got a you know a, a major run anywhere. I don't because he, he was he was with that accent he was he was great on the microphone and everything and he was just was a great wrestler. Bobby was, uh, Hunter was working for All South. 
you know, and just starting things to just kind of start happening for him. And uh, I don't know how much privity you were to the backroom action in, in the very early days. But, I mean, he didn't do a situation where he was pinned on his way out or anything. He was just there one day, and the next day he was gone. Do you know anything about that? It's just one of those deals where I think he got to the point where he felt like, you know, uh, wasn't going anywhere, and it was time to make a move. And I think he – I believe he went to Florida to work in Florida. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just wonder if he had a run-in with somebody or, you know, just – but you're right. That, that he just he, It just wasn't happening for him. And there was – you know, and, and when you think about – the you know the roster that was on the all south uh you know the all south roster was there there was no reason why he couldn't have been used better well i just uh, yeah it i don't know i you know i i don't know what tom was thinking or what the deal was i started to tell you this you know just talking about what kind of guy he was i started i started refereeing at the same time uh uh, as Larry Nichols started, we started at the same time together, and uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know what was said or what went on, or you know. But I was sitting, I was sitting in the dressing room one night, and I hadn't been refereeing long, and I just kind of, I'd get over in the corner, you know, by myself, and I just, you know, I mean, I would listen, and and uh, uh, but he walked over one night and he sat down next to me, and he said, "Bobby, can I talk to you?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "He said, I want to, he said, will you pass a message along for me?" And he said, "Would you just do it in the right way?" He said, "I'm not trying to be ugly, but would you do it?" And I went, "Well, yeah, again." And he said, uh, "He said, I know you and Larry talk a lot." He said, "How about getting him off to the side and tell him he needs to be careful what he says?" And I said, "Do what?" He said, "Just tell him to be careful what he says around other people." He said, "Because when he says things to other people about other people, he said that's how referees get their fingers broke when they accidentally get stepped on." Or, you know, or the arm gets hyperextended accidentally. Or, and I said, I, yeah, he told me that. I said, okay. I said, I'll tell him. He said, look. He said, I know he's, he said, I know he's green. He said, and he don't know. He said, just tell him to be careful. And I went, okay. Now, I don't know what was said or what was done, but he called me over in the corner, and he told me that one night, and I went, sure. And I, I just knew that was, he wanted me to warn him, you know, be careful. So that's all I had to know. Did uh, he look surprised? When, did Nichols look surprised when you told him that? Well, you know, yes and no, but uh, I just told him what was told me, you know, and, and of course I, nothing, there, I never, nothing never came of it, but uh, I just, like I said, I don't know what was said or what was done, but it was just his way of telling me, you know, to, you know, that's the word. Yeah, well, it, it didn't he, sound. He, he could have done it. He could have done it. Oh, I know. The way the way he phrased it to you, he didn't sound like it was a kayfabe thing. You know, like like he was giving away information. It sounded more like an inside thing. I don't know. But. I think he. I think he probably said something to. My my gut tells me he said something. You know that that he overheard in the dressing room, maybe to Tom or to somebody that he shouldn't have said something to, and you know, I mean. One thing you learn real quick, what goes on in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. All right. And, you know, just I think that's all it was. I don't think it was nothing. I don't think it was nothing about, you know, exposing the business or anything. So, How long did he continue to work as a referee after that? 
Who, Larry? Larry was here. <laughs> That's an interesting story about Larry. I don't know if I've ever told that one on here or not. Uh, Larry was, Larry was, Larry's the one that, he's the one I knew. He lived in the neighborhood where I grew up. He kind of, he's the one that kind of introduced me to Charlie Harbin and got me, you know, he was kind of the person that got me started in the right direction about getting into business. But, but Larry was, uh, Larry was a little older than me and he, uh, uh, you know, he just, he kind of had his own way of doing things and that was, you know, just the way he did it. But Larry, uh, Larry got married. He met, he, he, he met a girl in Jessup, Georgia and, uh, uh, they were getting married on a, on a, on a Sunday afternoon down in Jessup and he asked me to be his best man. And I got, to, I got to, uh, got up that Sunday morning, got dressed and drove to Jessup. And the wedding was over, and Larry told me when I was leaving, you know, he was supposed to be off for a few days. He said, we're not going anywhere. He said, we're just going to stay. We've got a we've got a room at the Holiday Inn here in Jessup. We're going to be there for a few days, but we're not going anywhere. And I said, well, all right. I said, I said uh, you know, I'll see you when you get back to work. So when I got back home and I walked in my, my house, my phone was ringing. And when I say it was ringing, the phone was literally jumping off the desk about three feet. And I walked over to it, and I picked it up. When I picked it up, it was Harbin. And immediately for him to call me on a Sunday, I knew something was wrong. He goes, where is Larry? And I said, well, I just got back from his wedding. He's uh, he's down in Jessup, down there. You know, he just got married. And he said, I want you to call him. And he said, I want you to tell him something. And I said, all right. He said, tell him I don't ever want to see him again. He said, tell him I don't want to ever hear his name mentioned again. And he said, you tell him if I see him, I will shoot him. Who? And I knew he was serious. Uh, so I turned around and I called Larry and I said, <clears throat> I, I, I called him and I told him what he said. And I said, what did you do? And he goes, well, I don't know. And I said, well. Did anything go on last night? He said, well, I don't know. He said, I didn't go to the town. I said, well, mm. you didn't go to the town. He said, the truck was broke down. He said, so I didn't go. And I said, you didn't call nobody and tell them? And he goes, well, no, I was worried about the wedding. Oh, God. What happened was Franklin Stokes, who was the, the promoter in Savannah, he booked a spot show in a little town just over the South Carolina line called Frogmore, South Carolina. At the high school there, they drew a three thousand dollar house. Oh come on, Bobby! Drew three thousand dollars in a high school gym, and the ring didn't show up, and the referee didn't show up, and they had to give all that money back. Gee. The ring truck broke down on Thursday in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Jimmy Union helped. Help Larry get the truck into the Ford dealership there, and his girlfriend or now wife came up there and picked him up, and he went back to Jessup, and he didn't think it was important enough to call somebody and tell them, because I could have took a ring from Atlanta if you know, if we had known, and that was it, and that was he it, was that was it. He was done. He. He never refereed again for Gunkel, and when Gunkel went out of business, it was probably, well, it was several years. It was when I went into the office working as Barnett's office manager. We ran some spot shows in South Georgia, 
and uh, uh, Charlie McGowan uh, and and Red there in the office was driving the truck, delivered, you know, taking the ring. It was before Scrappy started the referee, and so I got him. I, I talked to Ole, and I got him some bookings. I got him a few bookings down in South Georgia, some spot shows. But as far as I know, that was the last he ever worked. Uh, uh, he passed away several years ago from complications with diabetes. But he, yeah, he uh, he just decided it wasn't important enough to take the ring. Yeah, can you imagine? And you know Charlie Harbin, you can just imagine how hot he was. And you know, you knew nothing about it uh, up until after the wedding, and you went back home. Nichols never mentioned that to you at all. It was never mentioned the whole day. It was never mentioned. I refereed in either Porterdale or Carrollton that Saturday night. Knew nothing about it. I'm really surprised Harbin didn't call me that Saturday night, but he didn't. I'm not sure he even found out about it until Sunday. I don't know. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, old Stokes, well, he, ran several, he ran several spot shows just over that South Carolina line down there, and he drew some heck, He drew some houses over there. I think that was kind of – I'm not real sure that Crockett was running a lot of shows down in that part of the state at the time. I knew he ran the major towns, but I'm not sure he was doing a lot of spot shows down that far – South. Oh, I doubt it. I doubt it. We ran Frogmore. We ran Beaufort, South Carolina, which is right over by Paris Island. Uh, I think the farthest we ever went over in there, I think Jody and Rock ran Monk's Corner, South Carolina, right outside of Charleston. Was Burhead in the main event? No, Burhead wasn't there. <laughs> That's his hometown. That's where he's from, yeah. <clears throat> well, going back to the Nichols thing, do you think, had you not called him and had this conversation where you said Carbon was going to shoot him, that he would have come back to the office? Oh, sure. He would have come back to work. He would have came back to work. Well, how did he take that when you told him that? It just, it was, I mean, it, it was just, well, okay. I mean, that was kind of the end of it. He went to work. I mean, I just, you know, I can't explain the thinking or the thought process. He went to work for a... Uh, some kind of mill down in Jessup, and his job was taking care of the hogs. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Hmm. So how long was he in the business, actually? We started in 70, late 72. They broke us both in at the same time because they figured out that if we were driving the ring truck and going to the towns, we ought to be refereeing rather than I mean, I was doing the ring announcing and keeping time and that sort of stuff. But they, you know, uh, when they originally talked to me about it, they said that, uh, you know, they said it, it just makes more sense to have you do that. And, of course, it was a great deal for me because I was driving a ring truck, less paying for the gas. I had no expense at all. So uh, probably from 72, and this happened sometime during 73, or early 74. Well, he should have known about the business how it worked by then, didn't he? Oh, he knew, he knew better. He knew better. He just wasn't thinking. I mean, and, and like I say, I can't tell you what he was thinking. Uh, well, he sounded like he was thinking this gal wasn't going to... He needed to get married to her as quick as possible. Well, I just... Uh, I don't know. I'm... Uh, 
I like Larry. Me and Larry always got along. I just that was kind of that was just a boneheaded move. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll t- I'll show you the difference in me and him. The ring truck broke down on me one night. We were running Dublin, Georgia, at the at that little old agriculturist building down there. And I was on the way down there with the ring, and the ring truck broke down on me. And I couldn't. I tried calling the office. wasn't nobody there. I tried calling Harvin at home. He wasn't home. And I couldn't figure out what to do. I mean, I'm out on I-75, the truck's broke down, and we got this town going, and I don't know what to do. So I called the wrecker service, and I told the guy my problem. And he was a wrestling fan, and he said, Bud, he said, the best I can do, he said, I'll tow that truck down there for you for $150. And I said, come get it. And he drove it down there. When I got down there, I walked in there, and old Bobby Burke was a guy that ran some towns for the office. I walked in and told him what my problem was. He took $150 out of the house, and we paid the guy and uh, set the ring and stuff up. And then I called the Ford dealership, and they picked it up the next morning. But I just I did what I had to do to get it there. That's all you could do. That's all you, you know, could I mean, do. What do you, what do you, I could, if I'd have walked away, I mean, that don't accomplish nothing. So I just, I mean, that was my thinking. But he put it in the, he, I think, I think the thing that was that really the boneheaded move of the whole thing was when he put it in the shop on Thursday night or Friday morning, that's when you should have called somebody and said, hey, here's the problem. Because actually the flywheel cracked on the truck. It wasn't his fault, and, there, and he couldn't drive it, so he didn't have any choice but to put it in the shop. He just didn't tell anybody. That's unbelievable. Well... Give back to the brand. Back then, that was a lot of money, man. Yeah, I mean that was ticket prices were like three fifty and two dollars. I mean they had they they said that high school gym was packed, and I can kind of see that because I just don't imagine there was not a lot going on in Frogmore, South Carolina. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this: Did y'all ever try to run it again? Yes. They did. They ran it one more time. I took the ring down there, and I think that time we drew. I mean, you know, it was probably fifteen hundred to two grand. It wasn't like the first time. Where would they have been getting television out of? Savannah. Out of Savannah. Savannah, yeah. You guys I mean, bicycle. It's just a hot you, you bicycle your tape line Savannah, out of right? Savannah. Because you guys, you only did live TV. In Atlanta, right, all south, and then you bicycled the tape? Uh, yes, that was the only place we did live TV. <clears throat> did you did you do the pro? Where did you do the promos for the other towns? Did you do them like you know, like Freddie was doing on Tuesday? When Tuesday, did you do yeah, the pro- we would. That same deal. They would come in and do theirs. We'd come in and do ours. I think we actually went first on Tuesdays because it was vice versa from Saturday. And Freddie, Freddie was good, but Capra was a magician with having formats and everything laid out. And, oh yeah. And, uh, so you know, it was just a. I mean, it was it was like a machine once he went in there and started doing them. He's been doing it for what twenty years. Oh yeah, he's been doing it a long time. Well, just <laughs> confidence in yourself, you know, and 
and you know, from what I, I knew a lot of guys in, in the in in the radio and TV business, and you know, the guys that put on the the bigger show were the ones generally that had less confidence in themselves. And if you look at the difference between the way Capo worked and the way Freddie worked, that pretty well told that story. Not putting down Freddie because he lasted a long time in the business. Freddie, but, uh, Freddie was Cap- good at what he did. Freddie was just yes, he was, was but he was but, hyper. Yeah, oh God Almighty, <laughs> was he ever hyper? Jeez. One of the funniest. Well, I may have told this. One of the funniest things I have ever seen in my life. Freddie would come to the Freddie would come to the office on Tuesday morning before he would go to the TV station, and he would pick up tapes that had come back in with, on Monday after they had ran on Saturdays or whatever. They had UPSed them back to us, and they either came in Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning. He would come by and pick them up, and he came by there to pick up a pick up a, a, a tape. And back then we were using the two inch tape which came on a reel, and when it was a reel and it was in the case, it weighed 18 pounds. They were, they were, you know. Mm-hmm. And they had a, the, the top fit on the top of it. You'd lay the tape in the in the case, put the top on it, and in the middle of the top it had a twist uh, knob that you turned to lock it. Well, he come by there, and he said he needed an extra tape, and he went in the cabinet there we had that had some tapes in it, and he pulled one out, and he went out there. Well, the lock was broke on this tape. He snatched that tape off the counter, and that thing opened up, and that reel came out, and the reels were metal, and it hit the ground, and when it did, it started rolling down the street. <laughs> and here's two-inch tape right. just unrolling going down the street. So he's cussing, raising cane. He catches it. He gets it. He rolls it all back up, gets it back on there. He comes back in the office, and he laid it up on the counter. And he put the, he put the, put the thing in there, and he put the top back on it, locked it, and he went back in his office. He did something, and I was standing there in the, in the door of the ticket office, and uh, Randy was in there with me. We were standing there talking, and he come running out, and he goes, I'm running late. I've got to get to the TV station, and he opened the door, and he snatched that tape off, and I'm a son of a gun. Fat top didn't come off, and that reel started down the street again. This time, he reached up and grabbed that toupee on his head and threw it down, just like he had grabbed a ball cap and thrown it down. I was I, I was in the floor. It was the funniest thing I had ever seen. He cussed, he ran it, he raved. He and when he rolled that thing up and throwed it in the car, he was still raising cane when he left. But it was so funny. I had uh, at one point in my life, I had three of those two-inch tapes and cases. It was uh, Tupelo, Mississippi Television. I don't know what was on them because I never had a, I never could find anybody to convert them for less than a thousand dollars a piece. But uh, right. Gene Sheffield gave them to me. What'd you do with them? Well, they were on the back porch of my my parents' house when it burned down, so oh, they were uh, burn up. Sixteen track audio tape looked very similar to that. You know, they didn't have the cut. It didn't have the crank in the middle, but uh, it had the you the plastic case. Uh, was made so that the handle was part of the case itself. Right. You know, you, right. And you just and you just picked it up that way. But they were about the same size. Yep, I was always anxious to see what was on there, that, those Tupelo tapes, because I didn't realize that Jared tape television in 
Tupelo. You know, she, uh, Jean, before she married Dennis Hall, her, she and her husband, her husband was a promoter in Tupelo for uh, 40 years or so, Herman Sheffield. And <clears throat> when, when he died, that's when she and Dennis Hall got together. Hmm. Well, there was there was some some fun times with Freddie, but but it was a uh, you just you just never knew what you were going to get with him. Some days he was he was he was kind of the plum was kind of centered, and in other days it was off to the left or right a little bit. But uh, he was a funny guy. What was his background? I know he was he was a sold commercial time and stuff, but didn't he start out in radio? Oh, yeah. He, used to, he was a play-by-play man that did the Georgia Tech games back in the 50s. He uh, he did the radio. He he started his own advertising agency where he, you know, buying and selling times and doing everything. He was uh, he was on TV here in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, or later, I guess up through the 60s, maybe even close to the 70s. He was, uh, uh, he had a show... Uh, Stars of Tomorrow, when the Ted right. Mack Amateur Hour was a nationally uh, networked show. Freddie started Stars of Tomorrow's here in Atlanta, which was a local thing. It was like a thirty-minute show, and uh, he would take the he would take the talent that he that he uh, that he would come up with. He he discovered helped discover Brenda Lee. I was going to say, right. didn't Brenda Lee win that? Brenda Lee was on that thing. Uh, a young guy named Joe James tap danced on that show. Bob Later became Bob Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, he tap danced on Stars of Tomorrow. Uh, uh, the, la- but- the last show Freddie did uh, was uh, a sports show that was only on very shortly with Skinny Bobby Harper on Channel 17, uh, and uh, that was uh, very late in his career, and uh, and uh, that lasted for a while. But Freddie, you know, was here in the early 50s before he did. Uh, uh, stars of tomorrow, and he would uh, go out and do on location stuff. You know, playing, playing records, and uh, I mean, you name it, Freddie did it. He had uh, he was the host of the Dialing for Dollars movie. Yes, came he on was. every day uh, on one of the local channels for a while. Cha- Channel Eleven, I believe. No, Channel, Channel Eleven, yes. yeah, 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 because it was the ABC affiliate at the time. Channel Eleven was, uh, not the NBC affiliate. And that show was so popular, you know, when they pull those numbers off, people were watching so intently that there used to be a lot of network shows on in that uh, time period. And uh, uh, the uh, Dark Shadows was on on the network during that time. And they actually taped delayed Dark Shadows, uh, which was, a, a you know, a big hit among the uh, younger crowd. wasn't a big hit among your standard soap opera viewer. But at any rate, they taped delayed that because uh, uh, Freddie was such a big hit with uh, dialing for dollars. When did Freddie pass away? Oh, uh, God, Jerry, I'm so bad about years because everything just I runs together. It. It's a, uh, it was about. It was. Wasn't it about eighty four? No, because he, <clears throat> he was with uh, Vince in 84. When, when yeah, it was later over. than that. <clears throat> 86? 
could have been. It, yeah. It, when did he do the show with you? Were you hired when you got him to do the six shows for Ann Gunkel? That was in '85. Okay, I think it's '86. Yeah, '86, '87. You're in that time frame. That's close. What happened, Freddie? As far as I know, he had a heart attack. Yep. Which is, which, as hyper as he was, that that's not a, that's not a. That's uh, not reasonable, you know. Yeah, he just. But I mean, he was. You know, if he was diabetic, Bobby. I do not know. Okay. Do not that lifestyle of his. I tell you something else. I seen Freddie do one time, and how he had the guy's phone number. I don't know. Every year, at, you know, we always ran the Omni on Thanksgiving, and then on Friday. Freddie Freddie started it. He ran he ran a little town called Douglas, Georgia, down in South Georgia, and it always the JC sponsored it, and it always done real good on that Friday after Thanksgiving. And after Freddie they let Freddie go, I would I continued. I'd go down there and run it for the office, and uh, but we were sitting in the office one Friday, and this had to be before we started doing this because it was late in the day on Friday. They used to always, about 2 o'clock on Friday after Thanksgiving, they would show a football game on TV, and they still do. This particular year, they showed Penn State playing somebody. And Paterno made a, made a decision during the game that if I had been coaching, I wouldn't have done it. You know, probably half of America wouldn't have done what he did, and I don't even remember what it was, but Paterno was – a lot better football coach than I was. You know, he made a living at it a long time. He come in that Monday after that game, and he had done that, and he was raising Cain about how much money he lost on that football game because Paterno made this bonehead mistake. He put them phone. He put the phone on speakerphone in the office, and he called and got Paterno on the phone. He did. Now, how he had his number, I don't know, but. Unless this was just an absolute wonderful impressionist, this was Paterno. Because if you ever heard him talk, you knew what he sounded like. That Freddie cussed him out like you wouldn't believe and told him <laughs> how stupid he was and blah, 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 and hung up on him. And, of course, this is before caller ID and that stuff, so there wasn't no way he could. But I thought to myself, I mean, that's just the way Freddie was. He was just, he was like a loose cannon. Uh, but he knew, but he knew the radio and TV 50, business backwards and forwards. Fifty six uh, just comes out of the the top hat for me right now, Jerry. That that's uh, how old he was. Uh, Is that all he was? He sure. Uh, I guess he lived a hard life, because I he know did live a hard life. Much older than that. I, I'll uh, look it up, but uh, <clears throat> I've got his a bit I somewhere. I would have thought he'd have been like. Seventy or something. I no, I don't think it, I don't think he made it that age. My only interaction was when he would come through the at the TV studio. He'd come through all the cubicles and everything and speak to everybody. And yeah, I always liked Freddie. I always liked. Him. <clears throat> I did too. What they let him go, he, Bobby? <laughs> well. Uh, I'm I'm looking at this. It said Freddie Miller, broadcaster and television person in Atlanta. It said he was born February 19th, 1929. Correct. He died November 25th, 1992. I didn't think it was that late, but yes. 
Yes. So, <laughs> well, I guess, you know, we can be honest. <laughs> How many offices on a Monday morning? I'm in the office on a Monday morning. I pick Barnett. I usually pick Barnett up on Monday mornings at his apartment because we always went to the office early because when payday was on Mondays, we knew the guys by nine thirty, ten o'clock, some of them was going to be beating on the door wanting to get paid. So we would always, me and him would get there around 7.30 on Monday morning and we could do the payroll and I could have it ready. And uh, so we get, I pick him up that Monday morning and he tells me, he says, I want you to get Freddie Miller on the phone as quickly as we can and said, I want you to tell him that he is no longer employed with Georgia Championship Wrestling and that if he needs to come clean his desk out or whatever, he needs to come when I'm not there. And I said, seriously? And he goes, yes, seriously. I said, okay. So I had to call and tell Freddie this early on a Monday morning. So when it was all said and done, what happened was uh, Saturday night, and there was a, there was a bar in Buckhead, and I cannot tell you the name of it right now. But Freddie's daughter was at this bar and hooked up with this guy, and evidently they spent some time together after the bar closed. And she told the guy, I guess in a, in a bragging sort of way, about who her dad was. And I mean, Freddie was a personality in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And she was telling who this was, you know. But she went on to say a bunch of bad things about the guy that he worked for. And this guy that she hooked up with happens to be friends with James E. Barnett. Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. No. This guy calls Jim Sunday and tells Jim about the deal. Says, man, you need to, you need to put a squash on this because you got an employee's daughter out bad-mouthing you. And said she don't know who she's talking to, so that's what got him canned. You know, that's uh, a perfect example. You never know who you're talking to. You got that that's right, brother. And you, you know his know. his son and his daughter both seem to live a larger than life. You know, like they were the son and daughter of a of a celebrity. You know, uh, in the in the two times. In in the one time each, I think I met, met talked to the daughter twice at the Omni, but you know they seem to live a a some kind of above normal. It wasn't a real life, you know. It was uh, thinking that their dad really was. They was, thought he was far more than what he was. Yes, but he. I never met his absolutely. son. He had two daughters. I met both daughters, but I never met his son. But yeah, they just kind of thought that. Uh, Yes, uh, sixty-three. And God love his wife, Miss Sarah. She lived in kind of a dream world too. Uh, yes, but she was a very nice lady. Yes, and uh, I, I, I really liked her, and uh, she, she talked to me several times, and uh, she, I think Freddie protected her pretty well, and uh, she just seemed like a, you know, the times that I talked to her, which were in the back, you know, you at the Omni. Right. She, she was, she was extremely nice lady. Uh, 63, Jerry, would be the age of his death based on the bio that uh, that Bobby just brought up. Okay. And I thought he was far older than that. I did, too. But I always liked Freddie. He always treated me super good, nice, always had something funny to say. Yep. But what did he do after that, Bobby? 
he he still had his advertising agency. He sold he sold time, uh, you know, for TV stations and so forth. And he uh, he did some voiceovers. He came to work when Ann, well, of course you know when Ann was running eighty five. I uh, I got him to come in and do do three or I guess we did five or six tapes together. Uh, after the debacle in Macon, where we hired that guy down there and he didn't know what he was doing, me and Freddie went in the following Saturday or the following Tuesday rather, and me and him just sat in the room and did voiceovers to uh, cover up the the soundtrack on that tape. But he just uh, after that I kind of lost track with him. Uh, I'm not sure what he was doing when he when he finally passed away. And it's funny how you lose contact with people like that, and then all of a sudden they're gone, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, the way we found out he passed, Randy had a, Randy had some business dealings with Freddie, and uh, he was on the way out. He was on the way to Freddie's house to meet with him. And uh, uh, when he got to, when he lived in a in a gated community, a condo community out on Briarcliff, and when Randy got there. Uh, the guard told Randy, he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Miller passed away last night. That's how we found out. Oh. Well, I think we can all say, you know, through our walk through the business, <clears throat> wherever we were, wherever we went, we, we met all kind of people. Yes, all sir. Kind. You betcha. You betcha. We're kind. just sitting here. We're, we're sitting here right now talking to several of them. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it, it, it it's it was good, you know. I mean, you, you got to see, you know, different sides of different people and what they thought and how they function and and you know, it, it, with that being said, and as many people as as we came in contact with over all the years, you know, the majority of them we got along with, we liked. Yeah. Um, there was a few that I didn't, you know, I didn't care anything. I mean, I just didn't like them. But that's true with all of life. But, you know, the, it's funny. In the wrestling business, in that brotherhood and sisterhood, most of them we liked and we got along with. And I'll yeah, tell you something that, that goes, goes along with this. A few of the folks that you didn't like or didn't think you liked, in some cases, it wasn't reciprocal. They actually liked you a lot. You know, it just it just didn't mesh. Yeah, and, uh, that's just the way it was. Jerry, in all your travels and everything, I know you got close to, to the boys you worked with and, and traveled with and everything, but were there anybody um, kind of behind the scenes or, or like referees that you remember that you were got to know pretty well other than the ones here in Georgia? Yeah, I was very close to Jerry Usher. Y'all knew Jerry Usher? Was, oh yeah. He I remember when, when he was. Out. I remember when he was a wrestler. You're kidding me. Mm-mm. He wrestled in Mobile. Wrestled down in in uh, Tampa. You're I'll kidding send you me. pictures. I'll send you pictures of him. You won't recognize him, but I'll send them to you anyway. <laughs> I'd love to see him. He and I became very good friends. He refereed out there for what? And uh, he, he loved the business, you know. He he actually loved it. Never charged Jerry any trams. Rode with me a lot. 
Did you know that there was another referee that I know worked for uh, McGurk and probably worked for Wash, too. Do you remember a guy by the name of Jack Howe? Very well. He he was he spent many years in Mobile working for Lee. That was the he only was place good. I ever ran into him was in uh, Louisiana. Yeah, Jack he Howell worked, was something uh, else. I wasn't I wasn't close with Jack. Never rode with him. Uh, never traveled with him. I think he liked to do some stuff. But that was his business. But uh huh. I caught on to what Jerry was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean See you know, I, I'm I not don't, to, I don't, go ahead, Jerry. I wouldn't tell I wouldn't tell some things about people, but I mean it was what it was, you know, and Right. And uh I always like Akbar. Always liked him. He was he was fun to be around. Um, you knew he and Frankie Kane were were first cousins, didn't you? Right. Yes. Yes. They had an uncle that that wrestled in the forties uh, and fifties. His name was Sheik Ben Ali. He was one of the one of the original Sheik gimmicks before Farhead ever did it. Really. Mm-hmm. But 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 he had a heck of a run out there for watch. Oh yeah. He had a good he had a good career as a wrestler out there too, especially when he was a babyface teaming with Hodge. And I we talking about he Akbar? Yeah. Jim Weaver. Yeah, yeah, Jim Weaver. Wild Wild Man Weaver. That's what he wrestled as in, in Mobile. And that act ball, he could squeeze more pennies out of a dollar than anybody I <laughs> Yes, sir. He, that's Rocket said he used to love to travel with him because he always saved money. Rocket yeah, also told me he said he said he was so clean you could eat supper off his out of his trunk. He, he I mean, he was such a nice guy. Well, did he come in for Ann? Uh, yes, yeah, he was here. I think he was here. No, wait a minute now. I can't remember. No, I think he, he and Ox No, Baker he didn't work for Ann. He, he, uh, he came back into Georgia after the thing come back together. Yeah, oh, him, okay. Baker were, him and Ox were him a team. Him and Baker were a tag team. Yeah. yeah that was before the split. That was before the split. They had the Georgia tag team titles for a while. I'm thinking they worked together again while the split was going on. Maybe, uh, maybe they did. I don't. There again, everything runs together, but I can't remember. I can't remember yeah, him think, being there. I'm thinking, you know, I always uh, Ox would call him Ack, Ack, Ack when he was, you know, trying to tag off. And uh, I, it, to me, I think I can remember him working in Griffin. And I don't know who they were working with, but. You know, they were trying to make a tag, and that's how he was trying to. That just sticks in my mind. Yeah, but see, Griffin, Griffin, Griffin that would have been before the split because we never ran Griffin because they owned that building. That's right. Now, you met a guy, Bobby, that I never met in the business and always wanted to meet him. 
Cowboy Bob Ellis. Yeah. What kind of guy was he? He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Never He's the first guy I ever seen do the shoe polish thing on the top of his head. Did he know he was kind of, I mean, I guess all people know it, but did he, when he was, you know, in the, in the dressing room and whatnot, because he was, a, you know, a, a big, big star, did did he know that he was not a big, big star anymore when he was working there? Never. No, he didn't. I mean, there was, no, he just, he was just one of the guys. That's, that's yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, he's you just know. one of the guys. He, uh, uh, you know, there again, I can remember as a kid coming up going to the matches. You're right, he was a big star. He was always, you know, he's going to be here next week, and he was in and out because he didn't, he never stayed here. But yeah, when he came here working for Ann, he was, he was, he's a heck of a nice guy. Trying to keep his he hair on. Yeah, he just, you know, well, that was the only time I ever saw him work. He came into Mobile in '76. Came in, he he uh, he wrestled one match. He came in and wrestled Ken Lucas for the Gulf Coast title, and I thought this is you know because I'd read all about him for years in the, in the magazine and everything. Come out there and he's a bald headed heel. He had shaved his hair, and uh, Kelly told me years later what the plan was when he he had was working when when Kelly was splitting his time when he left in 75 and went to work and was splitting his time between Goulas and Bruiser, um, he had met Ellis. Of course, you know, Kelly was a fan of Ellis' growing up, and if you're not growing up, but when he first got in the business, he because of growing up in Louisville, Ellis was a big star in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So Kelly would see him on TV. But anyway, he had, his plan was to bring him into... Um, Mobile kind of as his mentor, you know, and, you know, play the angle that, that uh, Cowboy Ellis was his hero growing up, and he took the, the Cowboy name based on, you know, all that stuff, and and they were going to tag team together. But when uh, when Ellis showed up, he said, no, I'm working heel. He worked as a bald heel in Mobile and in uh, Puerto Rico. It was the only two areas he ever worked that way. Well, kind of worker was he? Well, by the time I saw him, he'd been in the business nearly 30 years. So, I mean, uh, I guess he had uh, lost so much of his hair, he just decided it was best just to shave it, you know, and that yeah. was before it became yeah. really, you know, common. Jerry, but he I'm was okay when he was here, but, but he was, you know, again, he was declining. He had been around so long, and but he, he was, I never heard anybody complain about working with him. Where was he from originally? San Angelo, Texas. I want to say Texas, yeah. Yeah, San Angelo, Texas. In fact, I see he still lives there. He he had horse ranches there. There again, you were talking about Ricky Hunter being a bodybuilder. Um, Bob Ellis was a bodybuilder. He he won. Really? Yeah, he won state titles in Texas as a bodybuilder. And for his his era, that was you know pre steroid era. Uh, if you go back and, and see pictures of him earlier, he was, I, I, and I've heard other wrestlers say that he was, he and Buddy Rogers had the the best two natural builds, you know, and you, I guess you can throw Sailor R. Thomas in there too, you know, pre-chemical right. um, mm-hmm. physiques and everything. 
But uh, he and Bruiser made money together everywhere they ever worked. And he was a bleeder, too. Loved to bleed. Yep. yep. And he's still living. Yep. Yeah. He'd gotten into some sort of trouble that he'd, he'd done some sort of something to do with, with uh, fixing horse races or something. And he, the rumor was he went to prison, but I don't think he ever went to prison. I just think he paid fines or something. But he was, uh, yeah, he, uh, he raised quarter horses. I think he did that even when he was wrestling. He had, had a huge ranch outside of Santa or in San Angelo, Texas, wherever that is. But, uh, You could imagine that. That's somebody. He was kind of like Ernie Ladd. He, he, I can't think of a territory that he never worked. I mean, he worked everywhere. I always wanted to meet him. I, you know, I'm like you. I, I saw him in the magazines as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to meet him, but I never had that chance. And it's well, funny, he certainly got a lot of magazine coverage. That's for sure. When you you see, I would see guys like you know when I was in high school and finally got in the business, and you got a chance to meet him, it was like, uh, sometimes you was disappointed, and it was better right. than you thought, and, you know, it was you know it was a mixture of stuff. I know one night I was still in high school, and um, Hiro Matsuda was there. I, I'd been watching him from Florida, you know. We used to get that Florida tape, and so... He was in Columbus one night, and I told Ralph Freed, I said, Ralph, I said, see if you can give me an address from us. I'd like to meet Matt Suda. You know, Ralph, you know, or, or I don't know, you know. And I said, well, just tell him I'm Dickie's brother-in-law, whatever you got to tell him. I said, just, I was a senior in high school, so I want to meet him. So he said, let me see what I can do. So I guess he went in and asked him, and he didn't, evidently he didn't care. So he said, come on in. So I went in. Sat down, talked to him a little bit. Well, are you a wrestler? I said, No, I, I'm still in school, and blah blah blah. I said, One day I want to be a wrestler, you know, like that. And he was nice. And then I got to work with him in Lafayette, Louisiana, which was years later. Did he? Did, was he over here in Georgia, Bobby? He came in some during the uh, during the split, but I don't think he ever. I don't. I don't think I ever met him. Well, let me tell you, friend. Don't think he couldn't work. Yeah, I, I saw some tapes of him from oh, Florida and different places, yeah. and he was he was outstanding. He was man. I worked with him that night, and it was like God. I remember seeing him, and I was sitting in the stand right now. I'm gonna get to work with him. He was he. Well, you talking about a pleasure? I mean, it was <coughs> loose as a goose, and just. Everything everything he did was so impressive. He you know, didn't yes. get in a hurry and he was he was awesome. He was awesome. He had heat with Baba's office. Cause I told Joe Gucci, I said, uh I was supposed to go to when I left here that Thanksgiving night to start for Watts, I had just got back from Japan and uh, finished up that Thanksgiving night, and Kathy and I headed out to Louisiana, and I already had another starting date in Japan. So I told Watts on the phone, you know, look, I said, I got another date. It was like, 
I think it was four months later I was supposed to go back. And so, okay, 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 okay. Well, when I got out there, he gives me this push, and by luck or fate or whatever went on, I got over, and I went to him. I said, you know, it's such and such a date. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm booked in Japan. He said, yeah, I can't let you go. I'm thinking, no, be gone four weeks. It'd be good, you know, we could do whatever. He wouldn't let me go. So the next time I went, I, I, I told Joe Gucci, I said, I, I wrestled one of your buddies in Louisiana. He said, who was that? I said, Matt Suter. Oh, he had bad things to say about Matt Suter. I, I don't know what he did, just... Did you ever hear anything about that, Bobby? Or no, Mike, or? never did. No, I never heard anything like that. He, he had heat over there. Is that is that a handshake agreement, uh, Jerry? When you your books say uh, <clears throat> overseas like that, and and then you, you know you go to work for another promotion, like you told Watts, and then and then Watts won't let you go. I mean, is is that a is that a major problem? Uh. Well, it was a major problem for me because I was going to be making more in Japan for that four weeks than I would have been there. I, I understand that, but I mean, even legally, is it any kind of problem? Uh, I had no, I had no written contract with uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. That was an agreement. They okay. gave me a starting, uh, you know, a return date. I had a return date, and when they give you a return date, that's as good as. Anything over here on paper? If they say this is it, then that's it. I mean, you you don't have to worry about it. No, you you do it. They got you down. They they in fact they give you like a uh, like a itinerary, not necessarily of all the towns, but they would give you uh, the best that I remember what day you would start on, when you would leave the states, and when you would return, and all the you know, the dates and the, the way you go be in Yokohama or, you know, Nagasaki or Hiroshima or, or Kobe or wherever, Sapporo, you know, that was, that that, that didn't matter because once you're there, you're theirs. But right. I had, to, I had to call them and tell them I, 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 I didn't wait to the last minute, of course, but I, I, I don't know why he did that. You met Duke Kiyomuka, too, didn't you? I had my first match with him. That's right. That's right. You you told me that. Yeah, Jerry, you could have worked a deal where somebody, you got hurt, you know, and and be gone for four weeks and, and do a comeback deal with that. That that could have worked out real well. That's what we did in Kansas City with Ted. Got over like a fat rat. The night before he left to go to Japan, we took pictures of him in the bed with his arm in a sling. And supposedly Waskowski dislocated his shoulder in uh, Wichita. Ted could make his shoulder come out of, it looked like he was, you understand how he did that. It was awful looking. And uh, he could do either one of them, so nobody used going to Japan except the office, you know. And so we took pictures of him, we took several different pictures. He takes off and goes to Japan, go to TV Saturday, 
told him that he had flown flown back to Columbus to uh, see about his shoulder and do rehab. We don't know when he'll be back, blah, 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 blah. So he's gone four weeks. Well, after the second week, start talking. He's coming along good. He's coming along good. He should be back. You know, we're hoping maybe next week, if not the week after. The doctor saying he didn't need surgery. It's doing good. You know, doing all this rehab work. They got him in the gym and blah 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 blah. Well, we when he got back, it was the two of us against Wyskowski and Tank Patton. And Wichita was sold out. And that's the first night I met Billy. I guess you had yep. to be there. You know, so those you, th- those kind of deals have been done everywhere. When wrestling two had to have that neck surgery here here in Atlanta. Exactly. They they did the deal with Tanaka. That Tanaka had hurt him, and we actually we actually sent Danny Goddard, who was the photographer at the time. We sent him to the hospital. They they locked him in the room. Two put the mask on, took pictures. We went to the hospital and did interviews. And uh, when he came back, they booked him. That's the only time in my life I ever saw the Macon Coliseum sold out. But see, as smart as Bill Watts was, I don't know why he didn't do that. Because I was working with Cox and I was working with Murdoch. You could have picked either of the two, or you could have taken the two together and yeah. waylaid me. And I go, I go to Japan. I, I, I never understood that. I don't know if that was, you know. And I, I love working for him. Don't get me wrong. I, I love working for him. But that, I don't know if that was just a control thing. You're not going. That kind of rubbed me raw there for a while, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was. I mean, yeah, there was something you could have done with that. Yeah, that's what I'm right. not just me being greedy, wanting to go get that other money. But yeah, I, he could have made some money off of it too. I would thought so, all the way around the loop. Just, just the opposite of that situation. I heard, I heard Bill Eady. Uh, we were talking one night, and I don't remember how it got brought up, but there was a uh, – when he was in Charlotte, he was working a program with uh, Blackjack Mulligan. And he was – he, of course, you know how Charlotte was and how they paid. He said he was making ten grand a week when they were running that program. They said they were just drawing everywhere they went. Oh, it was ungodly. It was ungodly. And he said, he said he had to call Japan and tell them, he wasn't coming because he was making as much money at home as he was as he was going to make over there. <laughs> I believe that. How, so how did ways. Japan work, Jerry? As far as because they they didn't really run programs and angles and stuff like that. Did did they have individual bookers or anything like that? You I know, know Joe Higuchi more or less took care of the the Americans, but they. I think. I think. I don't know who Baba and maybe. Jumbo, but they would listen to uh, they would listen to guys. You know, you could you could approach Baba with something, and he he was pretty well open to stuff. You know, uh, I know, of course, Stan was over. I mean, Stan was the man over there. You know, so we're on the bus, and he said, 
always sat behind a driver and stand. Everybody had their seat, you know. Everybody, no matter when you come back, that was your seat. That's just where, you know. So I'm sitting behind a driver, so Stan leaned up to me one day. I don't know where we were going. He said, when we leave here, he said, I'm coming back in a week. So he had 16 weeks guaranteed. Sometimes he'd come for three weeks. Sometimes he'd come for two weeks. Sometimes he'd come for a week. Whatever. He'd burn up 16 weeks. That was his deal. So he said, I'm coming back next week. I'm going home. I'm coming back in a week. And he said, I'm going to be working with uh, uh, not Yatsu. Yeah, Yatsu. He was he was the star under Jumbo. Baba, Jumbo, and Yatsu. He said, you give me a finish. I said, all right. I said, let me think about this a day or two. He said, that would be good, so. Went to his room. I said, I got it. I said, you know, he come out there with that, that long cow, cow rope and that bell on it. He'd beat fans all the way to the ring with it. They didn't care. They loved it. Get whipped by staying going to the ring. So <laughs> I said, have you ever used this bell? He said, no, they won't let me. I said, well, you're going to use it. He... Yatsu, how did that work? I think Stan had the belt. He said they go put the put the belt on Yatsu, but I'm coming back in a week for a title, you know, a title match against him to get it back. I said, okay, this is this is the finish. I said you have your normal Stan Hansen beat him up, kick him around, match, boom, 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 boom. You, he makes this big comeback on you, and somewhere out of the blue, he pins you quick. One, two, three, you kick out. You go crazy. Pick him up, slam him, throw him in, give him a lariat, you know, pick him up again, lariat, drop an elbow on him, and I think you take him to the ropes, and you tie him in the middle of the ropes, you know, tie his arms up. And I said, you go running over and you get that bell and wrap that, that rope around your arm right where that bell is in the fold of your, you know, where your elbow is. And I said, you come running and you hit him with that bell with his head just sitting there like a pumpkin with that bell. Boom. He goes down. He's bleeding like a hog. And I said, he said, I don't know they're going to go for that. I don't know if he'll got it. Stand, let me hear, let me finish. I said, you hit him with that bell. He comes un- untied, and you put the boots to him, and you take off. He's already won the match. He's got your belt, blah, blah, blah. You went crazy. You did that to him. He said, I don't know, man. He said, I've talked to Bob and I said, okay. Talk to him. He come out of the room holding his hands together, shaking them back for said he's going to go for it. I said, the key to this, they was going to do it in Yokohama. I said, the key to this is now, they have got to carry him out of that ring stand. they got to carry him out. I mean, this you've never used it. This is devastation. You've got to convince them that he's got to be carried out. So he convinced them that's what it's going to do. So they have this match. It's a barn burner, boom, boom. I'm watching him. And I think when he actually hit him with that bell, I don't know what he did to that man's head, but I'm telling you, 
to be able to show Stan work and work with him. He, 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 he didn't know where he it was going. He don't know what he did to the man's head. <laughs> when he, I, I guess Yatsu didn't appreciate me giving such a deal as that, but it, had, it, it was it was unbelievable because Stan worked hard. He worked hard. Went down, boom, boom, puts the boots to him. The young boy's bail in, and Stan's gone. So Stan comes up and says, how was it? How was it? How was it? How was it? It's perfect, man. It's perfect. I'm standing there watching. This guy gets in the ring, unfolds this declaration. They get they get him up. He's standing there. They pre- presenting him with this proclamation that he is now the new whatever champion of Japan, blah, blah, blah. They put the belt on him. He's standing there raising his hand. I said, Stan, come here, man. you got to see this. Well, he saw that. He went absolutely berserk. Mm. So be, blah, 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 ego, egotistical son of a bitch. <laughs> Here he comes down this this building in Yokohama. is is gigantic. Here he comes down the hallway. Stan rushes as him. Jumps him and got him down and was pounding him like he was that kid that Yatsu was 12 years old. He was pounding him, pounding him, pounding him. And they got staying off of him. He got in the dressing room. He was throwing chairs. I done lost my damn job over here because of that idiot. Blah, 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 blah. He said, I'm done. I'm a guarantee. I'm a, I'm a, I've lost my job over here. But he didn't. And then, of course, we left and he went back, and, but it lost the, you know, right. the punch. Of the yeah. it, took, right. it took something it away from the devastation. I mean, I just yeah, he should have been carried out just like you said, and, and, and uh, you know he, he was done for the night. You know, um, you know they could have made a bigger deal. We couldn't present him with the belt last night. We had to do it the next night. To, you know, he was injured and blah, blah, made it an even bigger deal. That, I guess it was, that was part of their, they already had that laid out and they weren't going to change it. Hmm. And that's a great story to end on, Jerry. We appreciate you sticking around tonight and uh, sharing all yeah, this with us because yeah. you usually... Uh, well, I enjoyed tonight. It was good. We talked a lot of, I like talking a lot of different stuff. But I don't think Stan ever asked me for a finish again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he thought you gave the other guy a finish too. You know, who knows? Sure have. But I love Stan. Stan, Stan, and I were all right. We, I, I thought the world of him. But yeah, I enjoyed tonight, guys, and I'm glad you're better, uh, Jay, and glad Thank you're coming you. along, Mike. And Bobby, you sound the same. So I, I'm, I'm hanging in there, brother. I'm, I'm I'm glad of that, guys. So. All righty. Yeah, I enjoyed the night, guys. All right. Good dude. night. Good night. Y'all take care. Good night, guys. All right. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. 
production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.